0: Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 34. Will you stand with us and we'll sing together. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Take refuge in him for he hears your
1: Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear ear toward their cry. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers his children out of them all.
0: To the brokenhearted, take refuge in him for he hears your cry. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Take refuge in him for he hears your cry. Dad will call upon the Lord; he is worthy to be praised. My salvation and my refuge though the flood may keep on rising and the sun refused to shine his faithfulness will never change in my distress i cried how long oh lord how long then he bowed the heavens and came down to be praised my rock my salvation and my Praise my rock, my salvation, and my refuge. Though the flood may keep on rising and the sun refuse to shine, his faithfulness will never change. Dad will call upon the Lord, he is worthy to be praised. My rock, my salvation, and stay hey. sweet.
2: Please be seated.
1: Please join me this morning in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come this morning in praise and thanks, giving you all glory. You hear the voice of the poor crying out to you, and you are the one who saves them out of their trouble. Like a mighty army, you you defend those who fear you and you bring them deliverance. Lord, you have been our sustenance and provision. You have been our shepherd and in you we do not lack or want for any good thing. You have been faithful to your people and in the fullness of time, you sent your son, our Lord Jesus, to fulfill the promises you made by your law and prophets and through Christ, you sent your spirit as a seal and guarantee upon our hearts until you bring to consummation all that Jesus has accomplished by his covenant faithfulness. Lord, despite this, we tend to lose our way and go back to seeking life from people, places and things that leave us wanting. Although we know your law, that we ought to love you with our whole heart, mind and strength, and that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, we fail to do this And instead, we seek to establish our own righteousness by our by our own standards. But, Lord, this morning, you remind us that you have implanted your word in our hearts. The word that tells us that Christ has obtained life and forgiveness for us by his death and resurrection. Your word tells us that your spirit is in us and he has written your law upon our hearts so that we might love and obey you. Lord, today we turn once again in faith to Jesus, our Lord, so that we might be a people that care for the weak and vulnerable. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God blessed forever. Amen. At this time, children are dismissed for children's worship So now we enter our time of confession. Um, We will first pray and sing together to confess our sins corporately, and then we'll have a time for silent personal confession before God. The psalmist prays, when besieged, my heart will not fear. When hostilities break out against me, even then I will be confident in my God. When those near me forsake me, you, O Lord, will receive me. When we are faced with our own difficulties and sorrows, may we say, Lord, hide me in your shelter in the day of trouble. Conceal me under the cover of your tent. Lift me high upon a rock. Hide not your face from me. You who have been my help, teach me your way and lead me on a level path.
0: fail and comforts flee help of the helpless abide with me
2: swift
0: to Change and decay, and all around I see. Oh, thou who changes not us. Sing verse 5.
1: take this time to silently confess your sins before God. Lord, Thank you for lifting up our downcast faces for filling our hearts with a new song of hope and a new melody of joy you have commanded us to seek your face and in christ's sacrifice and resurrection we have seen the ra- the very radiance of your glory for his sake you have not turned us away in anger but instead you have become our salvation merciful lord grant us your faithful people pardon and peace that we may be cleansed from all sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord amen well I invite everyone to rise and let's read our words of assurance from the scripture that God forgives our sin behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love as Christ has welcomed us into God's family turn to one another and welcome each other in Christ's name
0: do these mournful thoughts arise? Why has our courage fled as restless
3: You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter seven, verses 12 through 20. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord.
4: God. Well, I'm glad to be worshiping with you this morning and thankful for a chance to look at God's word. Thank you, Susan, for reading from the scriptures. Um, you'll see a note in your order that we're going to continue the our summer s- sermon series. Um, we'll do that through uh, Labor Day. And we've been uh, looking at what we call New Testament words of life. Uh, and so each Sunday, looking at uh, a different book in the New Testament, making our way through the New Testament, and along with this kind of broad survey, then having a kind of a key word and passage uh, from that book. And so th- today, this Sunday, we're looking at uh, the book of James, and this letter was written by James, the brother of Jesus, and the, the leader of the Jerusalem church. And it was written to J- Jewish Christians living outside of Jerusalem. Over five chapters, James touches on a variety of things. Uh, how we should think about suffering, uh, the problem of bias or favoritism, kind of issues of wealth and of poverty, and the dangers of the tongue of using our words to tear down others. And one way to summarize uh, the book of James is that Christians must live out their faith, that we must live out our faith that, as James says, we should be doers and not just hearers of God's word, that we should be doers, not just those who hear or just those who talk about religion. Uh, And this emphasis on being doers of the word connects with the key word that I, I want us to reflect on today, the key word of religion. Religion. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. We might not think of religion as a word of life. For some of us and for some of our neighbors, uh, this word has a negative connotation. Maybe it brings to mind religious abuse, corruption, kind of institutions that are misguided, religious violence, maybe strict environments marked with hate or negativity. And these concerns, whether that we've experienced them or someone else has, is telling us about their experience are things that are valid and that we should be willing to acknowledge and hear. And in our passage, we'll read in just a moment, James himself says that there is some religion that is, he describes, worthless and some that is valuable. Even James recognizing that there is positive and negative in that word. But I hope we can see that we can see in our passage that when James uses the term religion, that he's speaking of an outward expression of our faith, of putting into practice what we hold dear. And in this sense that religion at its core is imitating the ways of our God, having our life, our practices look like the God that we know and that we love. So let's look at our passage. This is from James 1, verse 19 through 27. You can follow in your order or in your Bible. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of people does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, they are like a person who looks intently at their natural face in a mirror. For they look at themselves and go away and at once forget what they were like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. That person will be blessed in their doing. If anyone thinks they are religious and does not bridle their tongue but deceives their heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word. And it's given for our good. Well, as we look at this passage, there's a lot of things we could look at, and so we we, we probably won't cover everything. So, if you want to talk more about it, you know, I'm always happy to do that. But what I want to do is I want to start by asking this question: What is religion? And then we're going to make uh, two observations that hopefully will speak into our experience. So let's start by what what is religion? And I think it's interesting, at least interesting to me, that the word religion does not appear in the Bible very often. From what, I could, from what I could tell, it only occurs five times and two of those are in our passage that we just read. The occurrences, even just a few, are both positive and negative. For example, in, in Colossians, Paul warns about kind of a negative religion where we can use rules to gain a sense of pride, rules that will kind of allow you to look down on others or to appear to be wise to others. In our passage though, we see a positive, right? We see that pure religion, James says, changes how we relate to others, how we see our neighbors. So if religion can be positive or negative, I I think it's helpful for us to think in the most broad sense of what religion is. And if we think about it broadly, one way to do that is I think that religion, think about it as our ultimate concern. What is the ultimate concern in your life? What is the ultimate concern for us individually or as a community? One author reflecting on that concept says that religion is this central anchor to which all the cables or all the cords of life, we can picture a life full of all these different things. It's the the place in which all the cables, all the cords are tied together. It's the, the core around which everything else is wound. And this idea of an ultimate concern brings us to an image that we see in our passage. James speaks of a mirror then he contrasts between what we could describe as a glance and gazing intently. The house that my family, we used to live in was in the old Irving neighborhood and there was a built-in kind of wooden uh, hutch and there was a mirror above it and depending on where you sat at the uh, dining room table, sometimes you would kind of see your reflection in the mirror and uh, you'd know, be eating or having a conversation all of a sudden you, you know, you're kind of startled again by seeing yourself, You know, looking at yourself in the mirror across the room that's a glance right and we can think though differently if a moment you go into the the bathroom and you stare into the mirror you know making sure that you have a certain appearance or that you're ready for the day that's more of a gaze of looking more intently and James makes this contrast says that there is you know a glance that we kind of look and then give our attention somewhere else quickly but there is this gaze in which we fix our eyes We notice details, and what I want us to think about this morning is that gazing, that type of gaze, that deep looking, is a religious posture, a religious posture. To look to something for a sense of direction, to look to someone or something for a sense of who I am or the community that I'm a part of. Under these broad ideas of kind of gazing or ultimate concern, Religion can look a lot of different ways and and what I'm hoping we can grasp here is that the idea is that there's not just some who are religious and some who are not but that all of us all of us and all of our neighbors have an ultimate concern. But that can be expressed in kind of formal religion You can think of things like Judaism or Islam Christianity Hinduism but it can also be expressed maybe in like philosophical systems. You know, we can think of other, other isms, maybe it's expressed in you know, humanism or Marxism or free market capitalism or nationalism. We can even think of inspiration or ideas that we might not identify as religious. We can think of the arts of health and exercise or, or being a sports fan. These things that can give a sense of kind of a community or direction or inspiration. In reading for this sermon, I came across uh, an account of a man who lived in Oklahoma, whose, you know, functional religion, he wouldn't, I'm sure he wouldn't have said that. His functional religion was supporting the University of Oklahoma Sooners football team. This description is that he wore only clothes that were red and white. His house was red and white bricks. The walls of his house were decorated by memorabilia or posters related to Sooner football. And he arranged his work schedule around the football schedule and committed much of his finances to watching the games. Now, I love sports, nothing wrong with that, right? I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's inviting us to see that this is functioning religiously and how it orders his life and identity. Our religion is whatever ultimate concern gives us meaning and direction, whatever gives intensity to life, whatever organizes our resources, whatever kind of drives us forward or whatever consoles us when we are facing misery or difficulty, whatever tells me who I am or defines a sense of success or who I'm connected to. In this sense, all of us have religion. All of us have an ultimate concern in which we seek to bind the cords of our life together. So in light of that idea of, of what religion is, I want us to, to look at a couple observations. To think about what that might be in our life and to hear how our passage is speaking to us. So first, I want to, the observation is that it matters where we look. It matters where we look because we imitate what we gaze upon. It matters where we look, it matters where we kind of direct our ultimate concern because we imitate, become like what we gaze upon. The Greek word translated religion here refers to outward or or visible expressions, worship, ceremonies, sacrifices, kind of a thought system, acts of piety or service. And one of the things that's helpful for us to, to think about this, where we gaze, is to recognize that Jews, those who worship the God of Israel, were very different from their ancient neighbors in a number of ways. There was certainly overlap in their religious life, but there were parts that were very different. And you see where James directs us to gaze, where to give our attention to. It's a strange kind of image because he talks about a mirror, but he doesn't want us to look at ourselves. He wants us to see something different with our gaze. It isn't our face, but what James calls the perfect law of freedom. He's speaking of God's word, God's revelation, that the God of Israel, the one who created all things, make himself known. And one of the key ways in which Israel was set apart from their neighbors, their their concept of religion was fundamentally different than their neighbor's concept was this idea of relationship with God through a covenant promise. But the God that they were in re- worshiping was not one that they were simply trying to appease or at the random wh- whims of, but one in which they had a union with, a, a relationship with, bound in a covenant promise by God. The image is being of a marriage or of a family unit bound together By promise. And we can think of a few observations of this covenant of grace that that God gives to the people of Israel. One is that the place of suffering was the very place that God showed up. That's the nature of the covenant. We see that Abraham and Sarah received God's promise in the midst of their suffering and their limitation. God promised to Abraham that he would be a father of a great nation. He made that promise when Abraham was well on in years and Sarah was barren. And to that very longing for a child, that very painful reality that they could not bring about what they wanted to bring about, God in that place made a promise. He made a promise that he would bind himself to Abraham and Sarah and their family. Another observation is that this covenant promise was always meant to bring blessing to the nations. This covenant promise was not just that Abraham and Sarah would be blessed, but that their neighbors near and far would be blessed through them by God. We see something similar, right, in our own story of Christ One of the fundamental questions that the New Testament and all of Scripture is wrestling with is, does God leave you in your sin and misery? Are you left alone to face your challenges, your questions? And the answer that the Scripture gives from God's covenant of grace, this promise, is is no. God in his grace has moved towards you in his faithfulness to say that you're not alone to face these things. He'll bless us in Christ and through that blessing that we are to be a blessing to our neighbors. A third observation that kind of underscores these is that God makes this promise and gives his law or his word to a people that have been redeemed, who have been set free. The religious practices and commandments start with God reminding Israel over and over again that he rescued them out of bondage. You are my special people. I am your God. You are my people. And therefore, the commandments to live are not a means to get to God. Rather, they are ways to live in our union with God. So religion in this sense of the covenant tells us that it's, it's not a list of chores. It's not a way to lift ourselves up above others, to, to be filled with pride or to show our strength. But rather, religion is a dynamic relationship with a God who makes promises of faithfulness to sinners and broken humans, that those humans may share his blessing with their neighbors. That was the religion that Israel was to bless the world with. So first we are told that it matters where we look because we imitate what we gaze upon and James invites us and tells us very carefully, gaze upon God's word, this law that brings life and liberty. The second observation that I want us to to consider is that the ultimate concern, if our ultimate concern is the God of Abraham, it changes how we relate to others. It changes how we relate to our neighbors. Any ancient person would have expected the Bible to include information on sacrifices, temple, the priesthood, but it would have been surprising to the Jewish neighbors to hear about a covenant community, a, a family, established by God's faithfulness and it would have been surprising to hear the language of love the language of love and and this is something that we need to kind of think fat from because we might be used to hearing this commandments love the Lord your God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself but in the ancient world that would have been very surprising wasn't just a temple with a way to appease your God but you were called to love your God and to love your neighbor And what James is inviting us to see in this teaching is that there is this unbreakable link between love of God and love of others. That these things cannot be separated. In fact, one of the primary ways that we show our love for God is by loving one another. The summary of God's perfect law, the one that we are invited to gaze upon, is to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself the language of love see james is defining religion well beyond an altar and beyond a temple and beyond a priesthood echoing the old testament's call for love james explains that our gaze upon god changes how we relate to others and in our passage we see that true religion True religion expresses an outward love to our neighbors with our words and with our resources. With our words and with our resources. The outward expression of our faith in Christ concerns how we use our words. This is challenging, right? It's hard to be careful with our words. Proverbs 12 says that words that lack care, that are hasty or thoughtless, such words cut and maim. But wise words heal." It goes on to add, our words can be like a sharp arrow or like a healing bomb. And I can imagine, if you're like me, that you can relate to that proverb. That the words have power to cut and words have power to heal that words do much more than convey information. Words change things. And James highlights this kind of practice how might we express that by giving us these three things together be be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger reminding us that the Christian virtue that is opposite of rage or malice, the Christian virtues are patience and meekness. The author James K.A. Smith, when writing about such virtues, he has a quote that I have found always to be meaningful and one that I can relate to, which he writes that when you are young, It's easy to confuse strength with dominance. But when you are older, you realize that the feat of strength, the feat of character it takes to be meek, to show restraint. Maybe, I don't know how that strikes you, but sometimes we can confuse ourselves to think of strength in terms of dominance, getting your way, using your words to push past people. But the Christian virtue invites us to see that actual strength, a a character formed by God, is one that practices wisdom and restraint and meekness. Well, the outward expression of our faith concerns how we use our words, and the outward expression of our faith in Christ concerns how we care for the vulnerable, especially the economically vulnerable. religion that is pure is care for orphans and widows. It is generously visiting and assisting oppressed groups like widows and orphans in keeping oneself uncontaminated by the world, which I think means primarily not following perverted or broken economic values, such as that money belongs to me, or the measure of one's value is in terms of how much money one has, Or that we have no obligation to care for those who have needs james writes in another section of his letter i will show you my faith by my works if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that Here is an example of what he says is a worthless religion. The mention of the orphan and widow was a way to highlight special concern for those who were vulnerable. They were the most exposed and vulnerable of that time period. And it invites us to think of those who are especially vulnerable and what it might be for us to care for them individually or as a church or as a people. To say that this is religion that is pure, what pure here means that such care for others, especially the vulnerable, is the proper expression of knowing the God of Israel, who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus, saying that this is the proper response to encountering the God of Israel, who makes covenant with broken and sinful people, who lifts up those who have fallen. And of course, it's worth us acknowledging that such a call, just like speaking of our tongue and our words, such a call to give attention to those in need is challenging. If we're honest, it presses against things that we hold dear, like our personal peace or our material abundance or you know, whatever plans or schedules that we have set that prevent us from having to interact with things that are difficult or challenging for us. Or maybe for the times when one is in need, when we are in need, that the challenge of expressing that need or asking for help ourselves, Acknow- acknowledging the vulnerability that we have, God's perfect law—this what we're invited to gaze upon—directs us to see our neighbors in a new way, not as those that we are to keep our distance from, but those we are called to see and care for. James helps us see the unbreakable link between love of God and love of neighbor. And it reminds us that at the core of religion, what, the way that religion is being used here in the, the book of James, is that we are called to imitate our God. Imitate the way that God has related to us and Christ to seek not to imitate the ways or the values of the world, but to imitate the ways of our God. Therefore, a Christian who does not have compassion for the vulnerable in need of care dishonors or does not imitate God's own grace and mercy towards humans. And why is that? When we feel the challenge of this or feel the, pr- the press of this word, it's good to be reminded this is true because of who our God is. The heart of our religion is not that we do what is right or do what is good. The heart of our religion is remembering who our God is. The God who justifies sinners. The God who identifies himself as lifting up the fallen or binding the brokenhearted or who sees those others do not see with special concern for the refugee, the widow, and the orphan, the vulnerable and exposed of society. God sees you and me in our profound need. He didn't just do us a favor, but He sees us in our desperation. And He does not leave us alone. But he draws near to us in Christ. That is the gospel. And that is why we're invited to represent such things, to imitate such things, and how we see and relate to others. This is the good news. Let us remember it for ourselves. Let us remember it and let it become our chief concern, our ultimate concern. Jesus, who sees us and draws near, and who invites us to be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you are a God that is good, and a God that is gracious, and a God worthy of our worship. We pray, Lord, that our religion, our expression of our faith will not be empty. But it would be one that imitates you, filled by your spirit, reflecting the way that you have treated us in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Will you please stand with us? We'll sing together. Your labor is not in vain, though the ground you i So we. In-
4: Almighty God, you are our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Give us faith to be still and know that you are God as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. <laughs> be seated. Well, having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And whenever we gather on on Sunday to to receive these gifts, we remind ourselves of what this uh, sacrament is, what this gift is given to us by Christ. And at this table, we hear that Jesus institutes the, the covenant in his blood. And this is a chance to remember the the uniqueness that I spoke of in the sermon, the uniqueness of how Israel presented religion to the world. For this table is the family meal of God's people, but it's not set for those who have done everything right or know exactly how to handle each situation. Those who rise above others, rather it's set for sinners who know that only God can feed them and make them well. So as we think about ourselves, this table and the body of Christ and his blood shed and broken, we're invited to come and to repent and acknowledge our sins of greed. Our sins of being quick to speak and quick to get angry, slow to listen. Of disregarding or quickly judging our neighbors. wanting our personal peace above everything else. The table invites us to come and acknowledge these sins and seek the forgiveness of God and Christ. For it's only here at this table that sinners are welcomed and nourished in his grace that then we can go out and live in new ways that see one another and our neighbors differently. See our resources as gifts given by God that we can share with one another. So today, if you know of your sin before God, and you have put your hope not in yourself or what you're going to do in the what you've done in the past or what you'll do tomorrow. But if your hope is in Christ, then come and eat and drink. Be reminded to be nourished, be strengthened to walk as His son or daughter. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be a witness that there is this covenant of grace and a new way of being in the world. Let it be a witness and a sign of who God is to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table. I pray that you set apart this bread and cup, that by your spirit you would meet us, that you would meet us in our profound needs, that you grant forgiveness for our sins, that you'd speak hope into our despair, that you lift up our heads and remind us that we are your people. And Lord, by your spirit, strengthen us also that we may walk in the newness of life to the resurrected power of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are serving, I invite you to come forward. Um, if you're taking communion this morning, I invite you to come down the center aisle. You can receive the bread and the cup here, and then you can go back on the sides. I ask if you're able that you would hel- hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink together as God's people. If you're not participating in communion, I still invite you to come forward. Just come down the center aisle and put your arm across your chest and offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Let us come down and receive God's gifts that he's given to us. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. response to this table I invite you to stand (coughs) and that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people together. Lord Jesus Christ you are the vine and we are the branches. Help us to abide in you that our lives may produce fruit. May you be glorified as we proclaim the mystery of faith. to confess your faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, We're going to continue our time of worship through uh, a chance to give and respond to God's generosity. And so the the greeters are going to come forward. There's a, a a gray basket you can put your communion cup in, and then there's also a, a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift. You can. You can also. You'll see also that there's information about giving through the website or by text. If you'd like to give uh, to the work of the church, um, we'd welcome that. Also, just want to say again, welcome and uh, glad that you're here worshiping with us. There is a, a black a folder under the chair in the center aisle. Um, if you're sitting there on the, in that in the center aisle, invite you to pick that up and you can uh, pass it down a chance to fill it out and to know who you're worshiping with uh, today. If you're visiting, we'd um, love to have a chance to, to follow up and share some more information about the church. Share the weekly email that the church sends out with you as well. So invite you to, to fill it out and pass it down. Um, if you have questions, though, about the church or th- other things going on, please, you know, I'd love to talk to you afterwards or, or any, the greeters as well. Uh, we'll do that as well. The last thing to mention is that after church, there is um, coffee and bagels in the hallway behind us. Uh, Also, uh, Robert Stewart, uh, who's the security guard here at Waters, uh, has very kindly uh, made some uh, food for us. There's some hot dogs and some chips and some lemonade as well. So hopefully you can stay after and and enjoy spending some time together uh, there behind us in the hallway or go out and enjoy the grounds uh, of Waters at the playground. Uh, But please say thank you to Robert for for putting that together for us. That was very kind of him. Um, Let us continue uh, worshiping by the giving of our gifts to God. (laughs)
0: Will you please stand and join us for the doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. I don't know.
4: receive God's blessing may the love of God the father the grace of our savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you now and always amen may we go in peace
2: <laughs>